And good morning to the rest of you as well. Hopefully you've had a great week. It's a bit warm. If anybody likes warm, it's warm. (laughs) And if you don't like warm, it was warm. Let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Mark once again this morning. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Continue on on Wednesday. It seems like we've been uh, following Jesus on Passion Week for quite some time, and uh, Wednesday was incredibly busy for him. And uh, we find him still going, if you will, in Mark chapter 12. And we'll be begin. It's actually a very short passage today, just a two, ver- three verses, uh, beginning at verse 35. I think I'm going to just think about it right now. Let's go back to verse 28. It would be back to last week's session, but. It'll tie together, I think, rather well. Verse 28, Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. May God add a special blessing reading of his word this afternoon, this morning, and let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we come into your presence, thanking you that you are here amongst us. Father, we're here to worship, we're here to praise, we're here to lift your name up. We're gathered, Father, to hear more of you, to be more like Jesus, because Father, that's your intent, that's your purpose, to save us from our sin and to be more like Christ. Father, we look forward to the day when we will be in heaven with you. In the meantime, we are told to occupy, to be part of the system, if you will, not really the system as much as being your representative in the system, is what I meant to say, Father. We're here because you want us to be here. We're here for such a time as this. People need Jesus. People need to know who Jesus is. People need the real Jesus. Father, enlighten us through the power of the word. We'd ask that the Holy Spirit... would be our teacher exclusively today, that we would be ready to receive, ready to take to heart all of the things that your word would give to us. Again, we thank you for all that you've accomplished through Jesus Christ, the source, sole source, of the Savior of our sin. Father, we trust you. We look forward to what you'll do, relationally hoping we'll never be closer than these moments. We cling to you and the word in Christ's name. 
Mark chapter 12, uh, we've been engaged, uh, those of you that have been with us, uh, it's been a, a journey that has taken a fair bit of time, I think, I'm not even sure I'm right, but uh, I think how we got here was the fact of looking at the superiority, the supremacy that Christ has over everything, over creation. He's more powerful than disease, he's more powerful than demons, he's more powerful than death. He really showed his superiority in every imaginable way. And along that journey, as long, we just kind of got engaged into a study in Mark. I don't know how we got there, but we're basically traversing through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Uh, we're using parallel passages as well, but Mark is the place we really seem to be focused on. Um, well, here we are in Passion Week, the last week of Jesus' life walking and on talking in the earth. Uh, just to capsulize, summarize quickly, on what would have been Saturday, he and the disciples came to Bethany. They visited none other than the man Lazarus and his two sisters, who two weeks, approximately two weeks prior to that, was dead. Let that soak in for a moment. What do you mean he came back to visit his friend who two weeks earlier was dead? That's the power of Jesus. Literally over the power of death. He told Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for four days, he'd been dead for four days, I should say that. Uh, that's pretty dead. <laughs> that wasn't like four minutes, not four hours. You've heard of these near-death experiences? Not a four-day one, right? <laughs> and yet Jesus called him out of the grave. Loose him. I can't imagine what that would have been. There would have been, you talk about jaw-dropping moments, let's get it right. That would have been amazing, right? I mean, you talk about immense power and, and they wanted signs. I think that's good enough. But the, the message, you know, now that must have been a, I'm going to say rumor, because how many would have believed it? You won't believe this. You're right. I don't believe this. Almost the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, as Mary would have told her espoused husband, Joseph, upon seeing her for the first time in several months as she had visited Martha. I'm sorry. Um, help me. Excuse, somebody said, Elizabeth, there we go. Thank you. It was just like Blanco. <laughs> I'm on Mary and Martha. I can't get through that. Elizabeth. And he, and he sees her for the first time. And again, there's no, there's no FaceTime. There's no cell phones. Are you there with me now? And they meet for the first time. What did Joseph think? I can't imagine. And then Mary said something like this. Joseph, you won't believe what's taken place. I can't wait for you to dispel all of these things that are going on. I don't know. Uh, tell me, dear Mary, what is going on? And she says, I was visited by an angel. And we're going to have a baby. And the Father is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, Mary. <laughs> That very night, now I'm, see, it's interesting how God works. The angel didn't come to Joseph before Joseph met with Mary. He came after. And Joseph is, and he's a great guy, by the way. Can you imagine? He didn't want to make a public example. He was just going to put her away, the scripture says, privately. At that time, right then, when he's trying to figure out, how do I do this? What did I do wrong, God? What is, I thought I had the perfect woman. You do, Joseph. She's the one chosen above all, for all time, to bear the son of 
David, we read that today. I knew it was going to tie in here somehow. I have no idea how we were going down this road, but literally from the line of David. And her genealogy, Jesus, we find in Luke chapter 3. Matthew chapter 1 starts with the genealogy from the source, the descent of David, from Joseph's stamp. He was not his physical father, but it's interesting. Both Joseph and Mary, both lines descend from the line of David. It's pretty cool. That's a really big thing to a Jew. Because right now, Jesus wouldn't even be having this conversation because they had known who he's claimed to be. Jesus has not been beating around the bush. They know exactly that he's declaring himself to be the Son of God. He is equal with the Father. I and the Father are one. He said that. It's not like, oh, he didn't mean that. That was just, he just slipped. A little bit of a tongue slip there. No, he meant exactly what he said. And the genealogy records at this point in time, 40 years before, approximately 40 years before the destruction of the temple, they were amazingly accurate. I mean, they were there in the temple, this place that he's actually teaching them. We'll talk in just... I'm trying to review, but it's, it's so much fun right now where we're at. And, and literally all of those things would have been accurately displayed. If you don't think that the scribes and the Pharisees hadn't checked out on Jesus' genealogy, you've got another guess coming. They would have tossed this loser out immediately. You couldn't even claim to be a relative of someone. It was proved in the temple, in the records. Jesus was who he said he was from the line of David. They knew that. But their perspective, uh, let's come back for a moment, let's continue to review for a moment. So that same, shall we say, that same God that sent an angel to visit Joseph to take his wife to be and to care for her in those ensuing months prior to the birth of this Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the son of David. Amazing, isn't it? That's the God of miracles. That's the God that literally is standing in this temple of about 35 acres that he has cleansed, he's thrown the, the system out. All of the corruption of all of that was thrown away. And yet the system, it's going to be really interesting as we get in the latter part of this chapter, the senses of the importance of what the system has done to those people that are engaged in it. Well, but that's, that's, another, that's, another, that's another day. So here we are. On Saturday, they came to that, let's see, Lazarus. That was a long little bunny trail, wasn't it? Uh, they visited Lazarus, Martha, and Mary on Saturday, and then that Next day, it tells us, we went back to see it, that the people from Jerusalem came out to see this Jesus that had raised Lazarus from the dead. Who is this guy? Because they had heard he was there. Zoom, out they come, and they look, and they must have been captured by that. The next day, Monday, guess what? They all decided, because Jesus sent the disciples in to grab the donkey and the foal of the donkey to have a ride so that he could be anointed the king. He chose the time, chose the place, chose the animal. That was on Monday. Remember what they said? Hosanna to the, the son of David. Now, we're going to look at this in a number of What does the son of David mean? And Jesus is tying all of this together, right? At any rate, on Tuesday, after being declared the king, he goes in to Jerusalem, and does not wipe out the Romans. No, 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 he doesn't do that. That was the end. Can you imagine the party? That my, you've, had, you've heard of Super Bowl parties? Oh, no, this would have been a Roman party. We're going to get rid of those dudes. Here is our king. Here is our Messiah. They saw him as that son of David equals Messiah. We're going to get rid of those dudes. 
Jesus, on the way in, curses the fig tree. Tuesday morning. Why? Why would you curse the fig tree? Because it was a picture. It was a symbol of really what was happening to that whole Jewish culture system. And then he goes in, first thing in the morning, day one, day one of kingship. Day one, hour one, minute one, walks in the temple and starts clearing it out. Get out of here. This is a house of prayer. This isn't a place for you to be doing business. And as I said before, as, as unimaginable it is, the lower gates were situated, so they kept them open, and literally there was a commerce trail that went through the temple. Ay, ay, ay. Talk about missing what's important in the world or in the church. Sometimes our church gets, I'm not saying our church, but the church's whole gets so misguided in what's really important. What is really important? Jesus, it was, it was funny, I was, I was just thinking about this, these three verses today. Jesus has a way of asking questions, but only ones that matter. And the one that he asked several times, there were not very many questions that he asked. He spoke a lot, he made statements, he made commands, but when he's questioning, I want to know what it is. It's like, for me, when I'm learning, when, I, when I'm learning, technically, that person that is teaching me is able to present the material in such a way that I am asking questions. And when I'm asking a question, I'm ready to learn. But if I have a guy that's just droning and going on, and I'm not questioning, I'm not ready to learn. That questioning part of it is so incredibly important. And Jesus asks the question, who is the Christ? Now, this is on Wednesday. This is the day after he's clean this place out. He comes back on Wednesday and he begins to teach. It's, it's the high point of the week, quite honestly, uh, from the standpoint of just people engaging and him doctrinally lining some things out, getting people on the right page. This day was that day. And if you find in scripture, it is really long. He did a lot of stuff. He must have been totally exhausted. Well, here we are probably, I don't even know what part of the day, because there's so much that even comes yet if you follow the rest of the, of the, of the, uh, the gospels. But he's engaged with the people now. But in the interim of all of this, who's the most ticked off are the religious leaders. They are smoking mad. This guy has made them mad from the very beginning because this is his second temple cleansing. If you go to John, you'll find that the first time, on basically his inauguration, when, Jesus, or when, when, when he was baptized, his ministry began. First thing he does, go ahead, I went to the Roman government. I told you, your days are numbered, people. I'm here. I'm going to take you out. In three years, I'm going to take you out. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He went to the temple, and he cleaned it out. There's a message there. And what was the message? They hated him. They hated him beyond belief. They hated him for everything he stood for, everything he did, and everyone, everything that he said he was. Because it, it showed their corruption. It showed who they really were. And they wanted him dead now. That's been going on for three years. They've been trying to trick him. Well, that today, this being Wednesday, they have got to make this guy look like a fool in front of people. They've got to get this following, these throngs. And I'm, I'm, again, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds thousands that had just been downtown Jerusalem laying down coats, laying down palm branches saying, to God be the glory, Hosanna to the son of David. This is the Messiah. They had accepted him as such. We have to stop this now. So they sent it three different, that's what we spent the last three weeks talking about. First of all, sent a Pharisee. And the Herodians. Remember? They were going to make this political. 
Mm -hmm. I would say it would be very effective in America today. Just take a political position, you will have opposition. There will be immense opposition, quite honestly. So that was the approach. Let's just try to discredit him. Let's see who, do you think you're now a tax deal? In fact, I would have to say in America today, how many people love to pay taxes? I was overjoyed to know that 87,000 more IRS agents will be employed to help make sure that we pay the right amount. I was overjoyed with that. That's the best use we could find of 87,000 people, really? But lest I digress further, that's a big issue, always has been. Should, so he says to Jesus, what a, what, a, what a hot topic. You think we should pay taxes to the Romans, no less? Oh, what a perfect answer. How is Jesus going to handle this one? I mean, can you imagine the suspense and, and just, ooh, that's a tough one, right? All of the disciples, oh, Jesus, shouldn't we go to lunch? Should we go to breakfast? Should we go somewhere? Let's get out of here. This looks, this looks like a problem. All of those PR agents that Jesus, oh, he couldn't have any. But if he did, just think of it. Ooh, this is, this is nerve-wracking. Let's go ahead and not comment, right? Jesus, this is a no-comment zone. Don't go there, right? Can you see it? You talk about woke. This was even more impressive. You couldn't say anything and come out of this because they had all of the answers covered, except one. You got a coin? Can you show me a coin? And they would have it a scurry a little bit because I mentioned on that day that literally uh, those religious freaks and geeks wouldn't even so much as carry one of those coins because they saw it as blasphemous because it had the picture of the emperor that was, it was cast during that emperor's reign and it actually basically declared him to be God. So they wouldn't even have one, but they were, it didn't take them long to find one. Obviously, can, can, we, can we borrow one? I mean, they thought they had this guy. That, that's all we need is a coin? Oh, we got him. They show him a coin and he said, well, who's... Uh, Whose inscription's on this? That'd be Caesar. You know, just anticipating. He said, I guess I'd give to Caesar what's his, and be sure and give God what's his. <laughs> Can you feel the air just go out of this helium balloon? I mean, like there's no helium in the tank, right? It's gone. It's over. <sighs> so they leave. And here come the Sadducees. They've got, the, they've got a question that they've asked. For all time. I mean, they've asked the Pharisees, their arch enemies, right? Now, it's amazing, again, we want to say it because it's the same happening in our country today. It's amazing even arch enemies will come together against the cause of Christ. That's just how it works. That's how Satan works. He wants division, wants division, wants division amongst everybody. He hates peace. He hates it. But if you can see the real truth, then come together for that, for heaven's sakes, and take it out at all costs. Well, here they are, Pharisees and Sadducees, communing, conversing, being together to take Jesus out. And they asked the question that the Pharisees couldn't answer for hundreds of years, probably. Maybe hundreds of years is too much, but whatever, you get the idea. Well, Jesus, we want to know how you're going to answer this question. In the resurrection, which they didn't believe in, by the way, so why would you ask a question about it? That, first of all, tells me that you've got a problem, right? They said there's seven brothers. Oh, not six, not five, but seven not nine, but seven. And there was one woman, and she was married to brother number one who died without any children, and you know the, you know the drill. And as I said before, I would tell you what, if I was brother number four, I would be, I'd be hustling off somewhere. <laughs> I'd be gone. I'd be gone. I'm not going to stick around for this show, right? This, this doesn't look good. Past is indicative of future performance. This does not look good. I don't know what her, I don't know what her name was. It doesn't matter, but it's not working out, right? And then, of course, at the end, they said she died too. So no kids. So whose wife, you know, this is almost like a sneer. Whose wife is that going to be in heaven? Har, 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 right? And then Jesus says, goes back to Deuteronomy, 
And Moses would have been there. That's the supreme leader to the, to the Sadducees because he wrote the first five books. Everything else about the Bible in the Old Testament was commentary on the five books that Moses wrote. That's how they perceived it. They didn't see it as literally Holy Spirit driven. But at any rate, he quotes Moses and he said, well, first of all, there is no marriage in heaven. So I guess it doesn't matter. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the air is just going out of this place. And so then the scribe comes. He's the third one. <laughs> Jesus, and they're full of questions, aren't they? They're not, they're, they just want to trap him, you can tell. In fact, in fact, the Bible is clear to say they're trying to trap him. They're tempting him, as Luz even said on this scribe. And he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And remember, I, we had it on the board last week, but see, the Pharisees had 613 of those bad boys, those laws, right? Jesus narrows it down to two. Just, and they're all hanging on that. All of those, and there were some, some of those 613 I'm sure we could have punted away because they had no value whatsoever, but it was just an opportunity for the Pharisees to look better than someone else. You know, that's, that's legalism at its finest. At its finest. And he said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I actually quoted that from Deuteronomy. And then he also said that the second one, that you didn't ask just, you asked about the first one, but I'm going to tell you the second one. And when you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, all of the law is fulfilled in that. <laughs> what are you going to do with that, right? What are you going to do with that? And that's what leads us today to where we are right now. Because that scribe, upon his answering Jesus, said, you know what, that is absolutely right. And all of the burnt offerings sacrifices cannot cover those two things and jesus said what he said you truly are close so this now these three verses that we just read is the last invitation to the public prior to his being crucified it's the last time He's literally opening, and I think it might be for this one man, this one individual, that apparently is close. And it's amazing how Jesus will, even at, remember, we're going to have our communion here at the end of this service today. And the place of honor given of those 12 disciples, would you pick Judas Iscariot if you knew in a few hours he was going to betray you? I'll be honest, no, I would not go there. I would just, buddy, you've had your chance. In fact, think of this. He has just heard everything Jesus has told these people. Everything. And he's about to unfold one of the most important things, the most important thing, right now in these three verses, of what really is the question that should haunt everyone to know who is the Messiah. Because if you don't get that right, nothing else matters. And he heard Jesus' perspective on that. And yet, just a little while longer, and he goes to sell Jesus down the drain for 30 pieces of silver. How do you do that? The light could not even begin to shake and to break that. Again, all the religious leaders are there. You can trust me. All of those highfalutin high priests and Pharisees and Sadducees, they are there in that temple that day. And they heard what Jesus is asking. Now, taking that, let's read that question again. And again, I'm, it's very interesting to me. Jesus doesn't ask very many questions, and I didn't have enough time. That's my fault, not anyone else's. I was actually going to go through the scriptures and try to find all of the questions that Jesus asked. Because when Jesus is asking a question, that would be pretty important. But if we go back to um, 
Oh, I, I, let's just go to Mark chapter 12. You're still there, probably. And uh, Jesus answered and said, now again, keep in mind, at this point, he has completely shut them down. There's not one more person that has a question. There's, they're done. They have literally been silenced, completely gagged. And now it's Jesus' turn. What's he going to tell them? It says that he answered and he said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? And he goes on and he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, which is known by the Jews as a messianic psalm. Keep that in mind. So let's for, just hold your place right here. Go back to Psalm chapter 110 for a moment. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. And verse 1. A psalm of David. Jesus also said that it was David's words, plus inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. Jesus said that. The Lord, verse 1 of chapter 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, capital L, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's exactly the verse that Jesus has quoted back in Mark chapter 12. Go back now to Mark chapter 12. You saw it in Psalm. He says, he says that verse in verse 36, for David himself said, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou in my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So his question is, David therefore himself called him Lord. And whence is he then his son? I mean, how can he be David's son and David's Lord? That's a great question. Now, by the way, the Jews would have seen, let's talk about that for a moment. The Jews saw the Messiah. Um, and that, did you see? Jesus didn't ask about himself. This is really important as well. He didn't ask who he was to these people. Did you see that? Let's, let's just read it again. Let's first of all go to verse 35 once again. How the scribes, now who had just come to an Asagarius commandment? What was his name? I don't know, but what was he? He was a scribe. Okay? So this is tying together, if you will. He's literally, I'm almost wondering if he's asking this scribe who's close to the kingdom of God. He says, how do the scribes say that the Christ, that Christ is the son of David? Who's Christ? What does the word Christ itself mean? Not what, when we say Jesus Christ, that's exactly right. You, you answered correctly. We say Jesus Christ. It would be Jesus, the Messiah. Christ or Christos means anointed one or Messiah. When you say Christ equals Messiah. Now, when we say Jesus Christ, we're declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. What he's asking, who do you say the Christ, the Messiah is? Why do you say he's the son of David? Now, that's a popular term, by the way. You'll find it all through the Old Testament. You'll find it in many ways. In fact, you'll even find the fact, we talked about it just earlier here in a moment, just a moment ago, that literally when Jesus was anointed the king on Monday, three, two days before, they called him the son of David. That's a messianic title. Absolutely. Now, in fact, I had a whole list of those. Well, let's, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's go there for a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll look at verses 12 and 13. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed. He's, he's speaking now to David shall sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for forever. 
this is the coming Messiah. This is the one that would come to literally have the kingdom of Israel forever, known as the son of David. That's where, that's where the scribes, the Pharisees, that's what they've, actually all of Jewry would have gotten that particular example from. So is the son of David wrong? No. No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, he is the son of David. But Jesus is going beyond that. Is that all he is? Uh, because think of this now. If we, get, if we get the Jesus question wrong, or he's starting with Christ, the Messiah. Extremely important. He starts with Christ, the Messiah. Who do you say the Messiah is? They said the son of David. Uh, they, anoint, they, they, they actually threw down their clothes on Monday and said Jesus was that Messiah. Keep, keep those two separate. Jesus was seen as, remember the people? Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Galilee, Jesus the man, Jesus the carpenter's son, Jesus the... But when you said Jesus Christ, now you're declaring Jesus to be this Messiah. When you say Jesus, the son of David, uh, and that's, that's a stretch. See, Jews didn't necessarily believe that the Messiah was the son of God. They didn't see the spiritual aspect to him. They saw him as an earthly ruler that was incredibly powerful, incredibly prolific, incredibly gifted. All of the things that would make the greatest world leader of all time is who they perceived the Messiah to be. They did not see him as a spiritual leader of saving individual souls. They saw the Messiah of saving his people. You see the difference? It was very physical. Now, think of this. How do you think the Antichrist is going to be accepted in this world? I, I, he's, he's literally, I'm not saying, I don't even know if the Antichrist is, is alive. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not here to say that, but I'm going to say this. Our system, our world is moving so quickly at rapid pace wanting this one guy to be able to save the planet. And there is a worldwide thing that really everyone seems to be worried about, and that's climate change. It's not just the United States. It's not just Germany. It's not Switzerland. It's everybody is worried about one thing, it seems like. The youngest generation, which I've said it numerous times, I say it because the number one problem in this world is not climate change. The number one problem in this world remains to be the same since it was back in Genesis chapter 3, is sin. And when, until we get a hold of that, it doesn't matter. In the meantime, we're going to try to make better governments, and we need better men and women. Better men and women are made by transforming the heart. Only Jesus can do that. Politics can't do that. Men can't do that. Women can't do that. That's a Jesus thing. That's why Jesus is always more impressed, more important individual hearts, individual needs, individual spiritual insideness, if you will. I just, that's a brand new one. I don't even know what that means, but that's what it's all about for Jesus. He didn't care about the outside. Look who he, who he, look who he kind of came, hung around with, right? Really bugged him. In fact, this just came in too, but remember, if I say the prodigal son, you immediately can go right to that thought process, right? What's the focus of, of the prodigal son? The prodigal son. I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong. Because this is a bit of a diversion now for just a second. But I always want to know context. That's what I, I always want to know context. I want to know what's happening when something takes place. It's the same as in, in almost anything of life. When something is said, what was the context in which it was said? So let's take a, let's take a little trip back to Luke chapter 15 for a moment. Luke chapter 15. 
And if it's not there, it's got to be right around there. How's that? It is. It's chapter 50. I got, I got, I got, I got lucky. What do you want to say, right? Okay. So now what we usually want to do is we want to start right in at verse 11. Okay, and it says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give them the portion of goods that falls to me. And you go on and on, right? And you know, you know the story better than any. It's probably one of the most preached on parables or sermons that I know of, any, of all time. And we call it the prodigal son. But I want to know the context. So there's several parables that were actually told in that same setting. It actually started and he said a guy's got 100 sheep and he loses one. Remember that one? And he searches, basically goes all out to, get, to go get the one. Then there's the woman that lost something, right? So these three are, but look at verse 1 and 2. This is what tells us context. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. I, I'm telling you what, that tells me a lot about Jesus right there. His message was for those that needed it. And it's amazing how those people were more open and ready to listen. You show me someone that's really literally in the gutter of life. There's nowhere up <laughs> but up, right? There's nowhere. We're down at the bottom. That's usually when the message is clearer. When you're at a sky high and things are going well, you're rich, prosperous, and well, everything's going your way. You know what you don't need in your mind? In your mind, trust me, in your mind is a savior. You talk to those people about sin. I, 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 you know, I, like for instance, the Bill Gates of the world. Do they think they need a savior? Well, for heaven's sakes, no. They think they're the savior of the world. We're giving money. We're a philanthropist. We're giving everything to everybody. We're heroes. No, no, no. You're a sinner, Bill. I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. We're all sinners, right? I hope Bill Gates is listening because he needs to hear it. Bill Gates is a sinner and needs Jesus. That wasn't even loud enough, right? Because I can't break through. Jesus literally shining this light. He said, who do you say Jesus Christ is? Who do you say the Christ is? And they say, well, the son of David, he's human only. That's just a human. No, 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 no. You'll never be saved by that Jesus. You'll never be saved by that Jesus. Let's come back. So here, the publicans and the, and the sinners, if you will, they want to hear Jesus. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and scribes, we've heard of those before, murmured, murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And then it says what? And he spake this parable unto them. The prodigal son's parable was given to the scribes and Pharisees. You know the real focus of that story? Yes, 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 the Father was so compassionate, so loving, so full of grace, so forgiving, so amazing in what, how he restored that loss, that prodigal son. But the focus of the story was the older brother that's at home is ticked off because Jesus is saving sinners, or in this case, that man received his son back. You know what? There's no end to that story of how the firstborn son, that son that was at home. I've, I've obeyed you all the time, Dad, and I haven't had any chance to... Right? That's all you feel is that resistance, that attitude, that pompousness. That, that prodigal son parable is to the Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes. See, context made all the difference, didn't it? Just think of the compassion and all of that that Jesus laid out for the prodigal. Yes, of course. But the ones that were really ticked off by all of this was the son that was at home. That's what the story's about. And the end of that story depended on how they did it. Well, here we go. Here we are now in Mark chapter 12. 
verse 35 to 37. And Jesus now is one more time. This is the last time publicly. This is truly the last time. He lays it out there one more time. Who do you say the Christ is? Because if you don't get the right definition of who the Messiah is, you will never have eternal life. You'll never get it right. So he's building on this. He says, yes, the son of David. That's true. That's right. But it's interesting. He asked this question of the disciples privately once. This must be a really important question. This must be something Jesus is interested in. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. I hope I'm right. Yeah, verse 13. Here we have have a question of Jesus. Jesus asking a question. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? <laughs> That's a fantastic question, isn't it? Isn't it great? And he's, he's, he's in his ministry, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, he pulls the disciples. He says, Who do people say that I am? How are they going to answer it? Oh, it's fantastic, right? Well, first of all, they say, Verse 14, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Anything wrong with any of those guys? No, not at all. Uh, John the Baptist, particularly, he's a forerunner. He was the foreteller of this Messiah coming, right? But what if you make Jesus just a prophet? What if you make Jesus just a really good teacher by the way he was? What if you make Jesus a guru? I, I had a quote, this is... Uh, if I say Elizabeth Clare prophet, does that mean anything to any of you? Correct. Cut. Uh, C-U-T. Um, and the reason it's always been sort of, I'm not saying of an interest to me, but when we lived in Paradise Valley, they moved there. That was their national headquarters, worldwide headquarters. Elizabeth Clare prophet, along with Ed Francis, which was her, I don't know which husband, but it was one of them. And they moved in there, bought the old... Uh, uh, I'm going I'm to struggle. North of Gardner, it was a Senate. Uh, can't, it doesn't matter. But they bought a, relative, a large piece of property, and they are there. And I remember the contention in the community. I mean, there were those that came out of the woodwork saying, you have got to watch out for these people. They are this and this and this, and they had public meetings. I went to one. And they had these church universal triumphant disciples, if you will, uh, scattered through the crowd and raised up basically to try to completely destroy the meeting. But upon investigation, and this is just, I'm going to leave it at this. She's since passed away. The thing has kind of fallen apart. But this is a quote from Elizabeth Clare Prophet, the leader of Church Universal Triumphant. Jesus is a man with Christ consciousness, one of many men who have achieved that level. I'm out. I don't need to hear anything else. You are a false prophet. What have they just done? They've made Jesus a man only. A man only. Nothing wrong with Jesus, but he's literally just a man, and we all know that. There's cults that make Jesus a brother to Lucifer. A couple problems with that. He's not, but that would also make him created. Jesus is not created. 
I could go on. But this is the dividing point. If you're concerned or wondering about what somebody, where they with, are, they, are they with the truth or with, and never today as in 2022 as we ever seen more falsehoods, more, I mean, really super, I mean, finesse kind of lies, but anything short of truth is still a lie, every part of a lie. When it says even thinking of that, Abram, he went to, uh, to Egypt. Remember? And as takes his wife with, of course, that was, that's good. But he said, I think upon further investigation as we're traveling, just kind of watching, and you're a beautiful woman. You are beautiful. I just want you to know that, Sarah. You are beautiful. But I think you also need to be discreet. Why don't you go ahead and just tell everyone that you are my sister? Now, that's a half-truth because they are half-brother, half-sister. The only thing wrong with that, half a truth is a whole lie. That's what's, that's what's inundated our whole world today. We've been getting by with telling half lies that are passed off as truths. Now we can't tell the difference. How much truth is in the lie? doesn't matter. It's a lie. Anybody that says Jesus Christ is anything less than the Son of God and the Son of David is lying straight from the pit of hell. That's what Satan would want. Satan wants Jesus to just be man. He's almost okay with just saying that he is just God. Because if he's not man, that is God in human flesh, then he couldn't have paid the penalty adequately. Because he had to be in human flesh to pay the price. He had to be sinless. You think of that. What would God look like in a man's skin, so to speak? Well, he'd be sinless. He'd be well thought of. He would be holy, really, literally. I mean, all of the things that Jesus was makes perfect sense. But anyone that diminishes, and that's usually what you want to get to the bottom of. Who do you say Jesus is? It's a great question. It works today. Somebody wants to get engaged. and in, By the way, religion does not keep you out of hell. That is a fact. That is truth. Jesus would be very clear. He is just addressing, as you will find in Matthew chapter 23, if you want to read a chapter about scathing, rebu uh, rebuke, it's Matthew 23. He says, woe unto you, Pharisees and scribes. Woe! I mean, that's not a nice word, really. It's like, get ready. You're going to be punished. You're going to, judgment's coming. Now, wait a minute. Aren't they, the, aren't they the fancy pants, the religious gurus, the really cool dudes? I mean, the ones that, oh, they're coming by. But doesn't he look good today? Right? He's got his robe. It's all polished up. We'll look at this next week. In fact, they got those little tassels on the bottom, you know, on, on, on the robes, you know. That was, we'll go into all of that. But literally, ooh. Wow, the glare is just getting me, right? It's just the way they want it. Just the way they want it. You know what? Religion is the fastest way to go to hell. If you're depending on anything that religion offers, that is man reaching up to, to God, you have failed miserably. Show me some of the... And it's amazing too, isn't it? The, the less truth, the more symbolism. Not so much truth, lots of symbolism. You, you, you can study that for yourself. It's inversely proportional, if you will. Uh, less symbolism, more reality, there's more truth. Truth matches reality. It's amazing how tradition can get in the way of truth, isn't it? <laughs> I can tell that story, but I've told this so many times it's almost traditional, so I won't do it. But to think, of, to think of the matter of how many people are literally following tradition for tradition rather than finding out what the truth is. It's It's crazy. There's a lot of people trapped in cults today because mom was there, dad was there, grandma and grandpa were there, and they hold us over their head that we will excommunicate you if you do anything to step away from this. 
We will take your future and destroy it. That, that's, that's a lie from hell. If you just think about that whole thing, wait a minute, that doesn't even sound right. It's because it isn't right. And you'll find the basis behind that. They will diminish who Jesus is. Some way they will diminish who he is. If you make him any less man or any less God, the God-man, then you fail. That's what, that's what Psalm 110.1 is all about. David is writing the psalm, Jesus said, by the power, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, yes, he is the son of David. Yes, he is. He comes from that line. In fact, the genealogies of Jesus himself is Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. We've already talked about that. But it also says that, my, that the Lord, that's Yahweh, says to my Lord, Adonai, that would be the Hebrew word, at my right hand until I put thine enemies under your feet. Now, to be at the right hand of God is literally to be co-equal with. I mean, that's the place we put him. Since he was crucified, he was risen from the dead. He's at, if, you were, if I was going to ask you, you would say he's where? He's at the right hand of God, which means he's right, equal with God, just as he was before. Anything less than that, you haven't got the right Messiah. That was a huge thing to these Jews. They, they, this is the blue, in fact, they believed Psalm 110 was a messianic psalm. But when the Christians in the new church, as it was developing, started to lay claim to saying that's Jesus in Psalm 110.1, the Jews, Judaism, stopped using it as a messianic psalm. It was easier to put duct tape over your, you know that, you know that oil pressure light that comes on in your car? Just put <laughs> duct tape over. Just leave it go. You won't have a problem. Out of sight, out of mind. <clears throat> no, no, don't do that. You guys, <laughs> somebody's taking no. No, don't do that. <laughs> But isn't it the same? It's just like if, if you got religion and you, just, and you just make sure that you cover the facts, you cover the truth with, quote, religion, guess what happens? You're dead in your trespasses and sins, exactly where Satan wants you. Jesus is saying, here, here it is, guys. Listen, this is, this is literally the last question he asks in public. Now, he's going to ask his disciples stuff. He's going to tell them stuff because this is really what Mark has been about, our study, is how does Jesus, how is he approaching his disciples? How is he preparing for the crucifixion? How is he preparing for what's coming? He's been having one-on-one -on -one seminars with him. But this is the last public setting in the temple, 35 acres in scope. He's thrown all the bums out. He's got all the bums listening right now, plus all the people in. He's saying, who is the Christ? This one that you're waiting to come and take over Israel and be the king forever and ever. Who is he to you? David said he wasn't just the son of David. He was David's Lord. Implication was unbelievable. I'm sure that must have soaked for years in some people's minds. What does that mean? Exactly. Exactly. What does that mean? Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Familiar verse to many of you, I'm sure. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, same as David did, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you make him any less than David's Lord, that is God himself, and if you do not believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead after he was crucified on the cross, you are not saved. Period. So who is your Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus, he's a really good guy. 
man, I tell you, I wrote some, he didn't write, he just said stuff. And people loved him. I mean, he was, he was really something. And, and he could do stuff. I mean, like he fed the 5,000. That was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, you know, you just think about all the stuff that man did. It was amazing. He, he, great teacher, great teacher. I admire him. I really admire him. In fact, did you see how these people responded? Let's go back to Mark chapter 12. This is crazy. Mark, Mark chapter 12. I'm, I'm in Matthew, but Mark chapter 12. And, and it says, after sharing this, uh, you know, he just proved from, from Psalms that Jesus, or I'm, say, I'm sorry, the Christ, who they've just called him the son of David. It's amazing how he walks them into this, right? On Monday, this crowd, part of them being here, said, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, what he's just done is he's taken the Psalms and he's made the Christos, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of David. He has just now made him. David's not only his son or his downline, but he's made him his Lord. And there is no Mid-Eastern father that would ever call his son, quote, son, Lord. Would not happen. Under, this is totally unique. How did the people respond? What should have they done? I got on my knees and repented. This is crazy. This, this, that's the, are you, Joe, did you get that? This is the same, did you, right? Should have, what should have just broke out is wide scale praise and repentance. Watch this. They were entertained. Verse 37, and the common people, the public people heard him gladly. Boy, that was, man, that was, a, that was such a nice message, Jesus. <laughs> you go for a guy, right? That was so fun. That was so, do you see, what, see what's missing? It was like the light in the room didn't even penetrate. Didn't even, and Judas is listening to this. This Judas that was going to be the honor, the place of honor, the next night, and then he went out to betray Jesus. In, within hours here, literally, within hours, he's going to betray Jesus to these same people that heard the same message that this Jesus is the Christ who is the Messiah that is not only the son of David, that line, that physical line, but he's also God, the son of God. How do you betray someone like that? That's a darkened heart. Religion is really good at that. It's really good at it. You look around the world, and I can show you a lot of darkened hearts that I, I'm not God, but they're so dark, they can't, light can't break through them because they're clinging to things that keep light out. True, isn't it? John declares that if anyone confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he has the spirit of Absolutely. Antichrist. Absolutely. First John. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Absol in fact, let's go to, uh, let's go to uh, First John chapter 2. Let's go through... And, we could add to it, but First John chapter two verses uh, like eighteen. Let's go there for a moment. This is really this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. And then we're, we're going to come back to something. Just happened. John, man, he wrote some cool stuff about that. First uh, John chapter two verse eighteen, and this would be a great little book for you to get into this afternoon. First John, read it. It's great. Little children are a, it's just almost a term of affection that John says for his readers. Little children, verse eighteen, chapter two, First John. It is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Think of that. Just stop for a moment before we go any further. Just think of the world we find ourselves living in. Now, Antichrist, when we think of that, we think of that one 
guy, right? The last antichrist. Yeah, that's the culmination. And the world will be so frenzied, so wanting this one man to be able to fix all their stuff. I mean, we're, we're well on that way. We would rather have bigger government than a bigger God. In fact, we want to make government God, capital G. You can see it everywhere. There's the young generation will sell everything out just to have protection, to have some sense of amenities. To, they'll, they'll give freedom up for that. I mean, that's ripe for an Antichrist. There's, that's ripe for a world, world end ruler. It really is. But the Antichrist, and think this, this is the real meaning, though, of the Antichrist. It's anything other than God. Now, how many Antichrists do we have in this world? Woof, that took the top off the top, right? And the more that is, the more diversions there is away from God and God alone from the Christ and the Savior alone, that's an antichrist. I've never seen so many. Or even, I'm going to just view the word promiscuity towards that side for people. They desire anything other than God. Right? That's Romans chapter 1. Okay, let's keep going. Getting off in the weeds. Verse 19. They went out from us. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, shown clearly that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One that you know all things. That's one thing. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you get the Holy Spirit. He's within you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. It's right there. Boom! You have the Holy Spirit. Aren't you... Aren't you... I, I, I'm just thinking, blessed... That's why you as a Christian can look at something or someone that's promoting something that's false, and the Holy Spirit within you, that unction, as it says right there, shows you, discerns for you that that's right or it's wrong. Now, I'm not saying every little thing that you, you know, it, it's like anything. We have to do our work. But the Holy Spirit will divide. You can actually just hear for a few sentences someone that says, you know what, here's the deal, folks, ladies and gentlemen, you that really don't have, this is actually for next week, we're going to get into this, but you know, you really don't have anything, but you know what you need to do? You take that last dollar and you send it to me. You send it to me and God will bless you. God will bless you. Just, just, I've got, I've got, I'm going to send you a miracle rag, a miracle cloth, and, and when you get that. But you have to invest. You have to invest in this ministry because I'm here to tell you that God wants to bless you after you've blessed me. Oh, I mean, what, after you send the money. <laughs> I don't have to listen to very much of that, Right? That's a system that is set out for men's greed. It's not that hard. But it's amazing how they take advantage of those that don't know. The Holy Spirit living within you is an unbelievably, I mean, I, I just don't even know what to say. Can, I, can you imagine living without the Holy Spirit? Please don't. And in the Old Testament, if you were David or you were Saul, particularly Saul, I'm thinking of, the Holy Spirit you had one day, and then what, you basically sold God out? You did stuff on your own prideful way? It, literally, the Holy Spirit left. Never to come back. You can't huddle enough to get over that. The Holy Spirit never will leave you if you've trusted Christ. He says He won't ever leave you because He is the down payment. He is the earnest. It says in Ephesians chapter 1. He is never going to give up the possession that Jesus Christ died for. Ever. You can take that to the bank and beyond. Banks will fail. Holy Spirit will never, ever, ever, ever leave you if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Amen. I can't think of anything better for us right here. We could, we, could punt, uh, we, could, we could just pounce on that all day long. And John is even saying, because of you having the Holy Spirit, you can discern between right and wrong. That's why when we don't know what's right and what's wrong, you know the first place we go? Not to the, not to, uh, <laughs> uh, shoot, uh, your uh, 
Google, yeah, don't go there. Go to the Bible. Amen. Go to the Bible. Amen. Go to him in prayer. And you know what? Promises promote praise. Right? Remember that? The P's? Okay. And I'm going to tell you something. The more promises you read, the more promises you read in God's book, I will never, ever leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you forever. Isn't that great? You know what that should do? That should help get us on our prayer. Get, on, get us on our knees. Get us in a prayerful mode. You, and you're praising Jesus Christ. And when you're praising him, there's something about that you get placed into the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep going, though. We're not here for that. Can you? This is like 50 sermons in one today, right? <laughs> Verse 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? The, we've been talking about that today. If someone says Jesus is not the Messiah, he or she is a liar. He is the Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Ooh, all of these Jews he's been talking to, they don't have the Father. And they say, that our father's Abraham, you're of the devil. He says, no, no, as a matter of fact, you're not of the Father. Your father is not Abraham. Your father is Satan. He's the father of lies. Isn't it no wonder that our world is being inundated with lies today? This is perfect cover. And, and again, I think of the externals. Okay, now here's Satan. His first lie, at least on, that we know of that's been recorded for us, he told himself a lie first. His first lie was, I can be like God. I don't know how he said it, but there's a lot of pride in it. I can't, I can't give you all of it, but he was going to be like God. The first lie that he believed was his, okay? Biggest lie of the universe ever and beyond, the universe and beyond. But the first lie he told to, to mankind was, you can be See, as soon as you eat that fruit over there, you see that fruit? Ooh, that's good-looking fruit. Why didn't he have them just believe they were God? There's something about the external that is so attractive to men and women, isn't it? <clears throat> to see something. You'll follow after tradition. You'll follow after stuff. And the apple, that fruit, she ate of it. Adam's, ooh, that doesn't look too bad. He's sitting right there. I know he is. Such a, ah, right? You want to go up, slap him. Adam, take care of your wife for heaven's sakes. She says, Adam, it's really good. You should have some. Well, okay. <laughs> Adam and, and Adam and Eve lose forever. They lose forever. We've been on this sin downfall. This, you know what? The Antichrist spirit has been with us ever since that. Anything other than God. They bought that first lie, which was anything other than God. Here we are today, captured by it, captured by it. Let's look at a couple of, uh, actually a little bit behind, but it's okay. Uh, let's, take, let's go to Matthew. Just get yourself in the book of Matthew real quick. And let's start at verse 12. We're going to roll through rather quickly. If you want to just take notes, that's okay. But Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Matthew 12, 22. Jesus is, this is a three-year ministry. He's engaged. There was been brought unto him, verse 22, chapter 12 of Matthew, one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this 
son of David? In other words, the, the, the kind of growing through the crowd. Oh, that was, that was wild. I wonder, do you think he's the son of David, meaning the Messiah? Do you think this could be him? Chapter 15. Chapter 15. Same book. Verse 22. Amazingly, another 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan, this is a Gentile. Wait a minute. A woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried. Whoa, 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 stop now. This isn't even a Jew. This is a Gentile living in Jewish land, so we say. And cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the deal. She's hoping that he's the Messiah. <laughs> like, can you fix my daughter, son of David? Uh, chapter 20, same book. Chapter 20, verse, 20, verse 30. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, Matthew 20, 30. Two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. Now, this is one that we spoke of. Verse 9, just flip the page probably for most of you. Uh, verse 8, it says, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strew them in the way. Now, what are we talking about? This is, this is like Bible trivia. If you had that verse, you would say, what event is this? You would say, you would say the triumphal entry, right? That where Jesus is going to be crowned. This, this is Monday, okay? Saint, this is what we talk about. Look at verse 9. Great multitude. Then the multitudes, verse 9, that went forth before and followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. You see what? Are we making a case? Matthew has made a strong case that the son of David in a Jew's mind is equal to the Messiah. They are equal, the son of David and the Messiah. Absolutely fixed. You know what I didn't do? We were in Matthew 16, and I got way off track, didn't I? Let's come back to Matthew 16. Let's close that up a bit. You see where I was off on prophets? If I made Jesus anything other than... Okay, I, I, I'm, a, I'm sort of embarrassed, but not very much. Verse 15, he said, But who do you say I am? Right? This is what the people are saying. He's a prophet, John the Baptist, Jeremiah. Remember that? That's been about a half hour ago, right, when we were talking about that. It hasn't been, but it seems like it. And he says, well, who do you say? See, that's what's important. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what Paul says about Jesus for me. What is it that I say Jesus or who he is? It's a personal question. So he says to the disciple, who do you say that I am? What? Simon Peter. This is like, he gets stars. This is like, I don't know what the teachers would do, but he'd get a gold star. This is a gold star moment. Watch. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I mean, there must have been applause. Jesus said, Amen, brother. That's what, no, it doesn't say that, does it? But I mean, that's the answer he was looking for because that fills the blank, fills the box. Not only is he the son of David, that, now, Jesus never said that was not right. That is right, but it's not the full picture. But when you say you are the son of the living God, in conjunction with the son of David, now you have met the Messiah. Anything short, you don't have the right Christ. You don't have the right Messiah. What an amazing question for which you received the right answer. Now, Judas also would have heard all of this. Now, he was there too. He, was, he heard that as well. Let's follow this for a moment. Let's go to Mark. Let's go to Mark and chase through this book for a little bit further. It's in, the, in advance in the future where we're studying. But Mark chapter 10 and verse 10. This is verse 10. Mark chapter 14. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve went unto the chief priest to betray him 
unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. How do you do that? Uh, verse 43, same, same chapter. Just go down to verse 43. And immediately while he yet spake cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. How do you listen to the fact that Jesus has just taken the scripture and showing you that the Messiah, the Christos, is the son of David and the son of God, the living, the Lord of both. Verse 53, same, same chapter. They led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. How do you do that? Chapter 15, verse 1. Straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. How do you do that? Because your heart is so darkened, so stonewalled, so callous that light can't penetrate it. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And yet, you know what? Do you think Jesus had any joy whatsoever in condemning these people in any sense of what will happen? As a, No, in fact, let's go to Luke Let's go to Luke. Um, where is that one? Let's try. Uh, how come I can't remember it? Let's, tr let's see. Where is that at? Um, think good things right now. Luke. I can't remember where I'm supposed to go. Luke. Yeah, here it is. Luke chapter 19. There we go. Luke 19. Luke 19. Now, this is, again, this is on the triumphal entry, the time when Jesus is anointed king. And verse 38, let's pick it up right there. That'll put us right in context. Luke chapter 19, verse 38, saying, are you all there? Luke 19, 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. What, what, why, did, why, 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 why? Because they were saying he was the Messiah. And they were saying, no, 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 you're not the Messiah. Watch this. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that, if these which hold on peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Watch verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. He was broken by their lack of understanding. He was broken by the fact that they couldn't see him for who he was. He was broken by the fact they couldn't see that their biggest problem was internal. See, Jesus would be crucified today as well. If he came to the world today, you could pick any country. I don't think it matters. America, I would, I would doubt that he'd make the day. Right? And heaven forbid that he would use Instagram and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. Can you imagine that? <laughs> right? That's why Galatians 4.4 tells us he came in the fullness of times. He came at exactly the right time. If he came today, he wouldn't even be heard. You, can you imagine a three-year ministry of Jesus in America today? <laughs> three hours? <laughs> three minutes? Maybe. They don't want to hear him. But you know what? Every single person must ask that same question. Who is Jesus Christ? If you make him any less than the son of David, that is man, and if you make him any less the son of God, that is all God, all man, then you don't have the right Savior. And only God can reveal that to you. That's right. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Exactly right. That's amazing, isn't it? And, and these, these, these men and these women that had their, I mean, literally had blinders on. They chose to be blinded in the presence of the light. 
See, that was the other thing. Jesus Christ declared himself to be all of the attributes that God was. I am light. I am the resurrection. I am the life. All of those things that makes God God, Jesus Christ declared himself to be. Watch the I am's. But here's the deal. If, you were, if I was going to ask you the most important book in the book of, most important verse in the book of John. Now, we went to 1 John chapter 2, right? 1 John chapter 2 is a, 1 John is a fantastic book. You should read it often. But 1 John chapter 2, we just talked about the spirit of the Antichrist, right? If you're going to take one verse out of the gospel of John, what would be the most important verse that John penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Boy, there's a lot of them, isn't there? I think of, you guys think, well, John 3.16, yeah, that's cool, right? Everybody knows that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. <gasps> that's, a, that's great. But it would still depend on who you believed He was. Let's go to John. Let's go to the Gospel of John and let's look at chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 31. Now, this is after Thomas even. <laughs> Remember Thomas? He was kind of that show-me guy. <laughs> he must have lived in Missouri or something. I don't know. You know. That's over some of your heads. Missouri is that show-me state, right? Okay, yeah. And I think Thomas, he resided from, or he moved there or something. I don't know, whatever. But he said, no, until I see Jesus and I actually put my hands into his side and I want to see his pierced hands, I'm not going to believe. I have to see it. And, well, more power to Thomas. That's great, you know, right? And all, But I have to say he's a bit of a, all the other disciples over there, oh, you, you will not believe it, Thomas. You're right, I won't. No, it was him. Thomas, we've been walking together for three years. Don't you trust us? No, I want to see it. Well, Jesus appears. There he is. After all of this, the resurrection's taken place. Even Thomas has been, I mean, my Lord and my God. I mean, it was just like, boo, I got it. Then John says this. The Apostle John. We're going we're to just go ahead in verse 29. It says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Colon. Watch. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and the believing you might have life through His name. That is the most important verse in this book of John. His whole purpose is to accomplish that, that you would see Jesus who He really is, that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you make Him any less, then I, I'm, I'm saying it over and over again, that is the crux, that is the climax, that is the continental divide of belief. You have to get the right Jesus. Someone can, you know, I, I know, I know cults. And again, I don't like to name cults because I, I don't even want to name them. If they're all the same to me, if they're false. It's just like, uh, Paul, when you were at the bank, or any bank for that matter, uh, when you have tellers and you're training them, you know, you got to watch out for the counterfeits. You don't show them the counterfeit money because there's another new one that you haven't even heard of, probably. It's coming every day. It's the counterfeits. They're just everywhere. What do you do? You handle the real stuff. If you handle the real stuff, you will not be confused by the false counterfeits. That's why don't bother with anything other than the Bible. Just read the Bible. Amen. Just that's it. That's the deal. Because the more truth you have, the more the Holy Spirit is literally working within you, the more discerning you become. The, the easier truth is to discern. It's the Bible. Because you didn't have like 50. 
These are 50 forms of counterfeit that we know of right now. Study them carefully. No, don't study them at all. Just study the real stuff. I'm a little bit animated today, aren't I? Just but it's fun because this is really, this, this is truly, if you cut it all through, and this is, tr- I'm going to say it again, this is the last time that Jesus publicly, publicly gives another offer of invitation. I'm standing before you. Why did, G- why did David say in the power of the Spirit that the Lord said to my Lord, David saying, my Lord, this is David's Lord, to be on my right, to sit at my right hand until I have my enemies under feet. Why would he be David's son and his Lord? Because he's God. Because this is literally Emmanuel, God with us. Everything that you see in Jesus is everything God is. But in human flesh, bearing the price that only he could pay in that form. If Jesus was not man, he couldn't have paid the price. If he was not God, he couldn't have been everything that was needed. Without either side of that component, you have a less than adequate Messiah. That must have blown most of these people's minds. And they want him even dead more than that. Crazy. Oof. I want, how about these disciples? Have you ever went, have you ever went studying at a seminary and rolled all these notes down? You know, and you, it's like, oof, it was like, wow, it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? I think these guys had fire hose moments, right? It was like, whoosh, I can't even get any of that, right? But you know what? After the fact, when Jesus was resurrected and they saw him, and he was there for 40 days, right? 40 days. I'm going to tell you something. Can you imagine all of those things that just the scales that would have fallen off? That's what he, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what, you see, and the Bible would have just come alive. You know what happens? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. Mark that down. When Jesus was on the earth, and you'd say, well, why would they need him? Well, I'm okay. But Jesus said, unless I leave, you can't have the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's just me. I can only be at one place at one time right now. That's true. Jesus, he couldn't be across the lake. He was bound by what? A physical body, right? But he said, I must leave so that the Holy Spirit can come, the Comforter can come, and it really literally guides you into all truth. That was his prayer, that he would guide you into all the truth so that every one of us in this room that have trusted Christ and everyone that hears my voice anywhere and anyone in the world literally that has trusted Christ as Savior has the Holy Spirit living within them, helping them to discern right from wrong. Are we not blessed? Unbelievable. And all of those problems that come at you, And you probably had a week of problems. They're amazing. They don't go away. They don't take a vacation, right? This Labor Day thing, I wish it was like a problem-free weekend, right? Wouldn't it be great? (laughs) It doesn't happen, though, does it? They'll be there tomorrow morning. They'll be there tomorrow night. They'll be there all week long. They just are. That's how it works. But we're way far and above that because there's a day coming because of what Christ did. He conquered the penalty of sin. And we literally allow him when we yield to the Holy Spirit, when we yield to him, that the power of the Spirit is also diminished to the point that we are, it is of no effect to us. That's fantastic. I can't encourage you anything more than that. But it's all about this. If you don't have the right Jesus, you don't have the right Savior. Amen. You can't be saved. Wow, right? Good stuff. going through my notes a minute. Oh, uh, I, again, I want to say something that it, it ties in a little bit with what I think it was last week or week before. Um, some of the things that, that it's easy for us to get trapped, and I'm not saying maybe us as believers, but for the world to get trapped in, it seems like if someone just says, oh, you, I, I believe it because I saw an angel of light. 
I saw light at the end of a tunnel. I saw light, and all of a sudden, oh, well, that's a stamp of God. Good deal. We're, we're in. No. No. There are a number of cults that have started because of that very thing, that are popular today because of that predecessor kind of event or moment. But I want to, this, this verse you just need to have in your repertoire, and we used it a couple weeks ago. But particularly today, in the world we find ourselves living, there's so much error, there's so much close to truth, but not, and what do we say? If there's a little bit of falsehood, it's all false. It's either true or it's not true. It's false or it's true. Uh, second, second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. I just want to take you there. I want, I want it to, so that your Bibles, you see it in your Bibles, in your scripture that you're using, whether that's a, in on iPhone or whatever you're using, but I want you to see it there because this is, this is, this is where we're at today. The Antichrist is, is coming, and he's going to be so amazing. And not that we're going to have to deal with it, but the spirit of Antichrist for us, is, it's so provocative, it's so persuasive in the sense of the good that could come from it. And there's so much of that, you know, the pragmatism. Well, as long as it gets to that end, as long as that, that, it's okay. No, it's not okay. The means are not good if it doesn't, I'm sorry, the end does not make the means right. And our world is filled with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. No marvel. Don't be surprised. Ah, verse 13, let's read that. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They look like an apostle. They sound like an apostle, but they're not. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He looks like an angel of light. Be so careful. Be so wise. Be so discerning. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, when the Word of God is speaking to you, go to prayer. Prayer is where we need to be, particularly in the days we find ourselves. And preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Better government, bigger government is not the answer. It's not. It's not at all. Uh, what, what, what party was Jesus from? Hmm. Hmm. What was that? <laughs> he was of the light party. <laughs> Because he shone the light right in the heart, wasn't he? And that's when, oh, I don't want to watch the little that guy, right? That's what the religious leader hated him so badly because he basically exposed all of their hypocrisy. He showed the people for who they were. He, they saw his corruption. Or they saw their corruption because he shone the light. The bugs did flee. See, Jesus didn't do it politically. He did it one heart at a time. He was much more impressed, much more important that he, we needed better men and women than to have better government, to have better institutions. He wasn't even interested in it. There's no bearing at all. In fact, when they thought they had him, they didn't. Oh, who's, 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 whose image is on that coin? Oh, well, look at that. Oh, that's the seed. I wonder if that's his. Go ahead and give it to him. But don't forget to give God what's his. <laughs> that is a major swing. That's one of my favorite retorts that he has. It's absolutely, it's, it's fabulous. It fits today as well. It fits today as well. Give God what's His. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Jesus Christ, He is the Christ. He is the Christos. He is the Anointed One. He is the Messiah who is the Son of David. And He is the Son of God. Together, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. The one that hung on a cross. The one that bore my guilt, my shame, my sin. 
was buried in was buried in a tomb for three days, and then God raised him from the dead, proving that that was good for all time. The veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. I can't imagine what it would have been for that Jew to, to walk into and to see exposed for the first time the Holy of Holies. There was no more separation between them and God. Jesus Christ had paid that price. We don't need any more priests. We don't need any more in-betweens of any kind. Jesus Christ is that intermediate. He is the one that is fixed for all time as being our Savior, our God. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I can't wait. I can't wait to see him face to face. Face to face. But God has a job. I must not quite be ready to go. Because in the interim, God is wanting me to be a little bit more like Christ every single second of every single minute of every single day. That's what we're here for. We're here to shed the, spread the gospel of Jesus to those that don't know him. Those people that stood in that temple that day were not told how many responded. Probably wasn't very many. We don't know did that scribe, the one that said Jesus just moments before, said, you know what, you're really close to the kingdom. Will you listen one more time? Who is Jesus? Who is the Christ? We know that Joseph of Arimathea, remember that name? Jesus was crucified two days later, hanging on a cross. There was two men, Nicodemus, remember him? He was in John chapter 3. He was one of those guys. He says, and I don't know this, I mean, but it just seems obvious. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a leader. He's one of the, he's, he's, he's a religious leader. And he goes to Jesus, uh, Jesus, I'd like to make him an appointment at like 9.15 in the morning. I think it was more like 9.15 in the evening because it says he went to him at night. I think it's obvious. I think he was afraid to go to him so that someone would see him personally and one-on-one going to Jesus. He was hated in John chapter 3 already, but must have made an impression. There was two men, Joseph Arimathea, again, a religious leader. He was a diplomat. There's different words, but he, he was in the upper up. Those two men saw and found it themselves. The disciples didn't even do it. Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's dead. They went. Those two religious leaders, they went and got Jesus' body off of the cross, took it to their tomb, to one of their tombs, and prepared it. Now that's taking a statement. When did they see the light? I don't know, but it may have just been this moment right here. We don't know that. I have suspicion that Nicodemus played John chapter 3 in his mind for quite a while. What do you mean be born again? What does that mean, right? Jesus just walked and talked that all the time. People need to be born again today. People need to see Jesus. That's our message for them. You need Jesus. You need a Messiah. You need a Savior. And the darker and the more difficult this world gets, you know what? The brighter the Messiah light looks. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. These three verses, Jesus publicly making the last, the last question to those people publicly. Who do you say the Christ is? They thought he was just a man. He thought there was a, that he would be someone that could rescue them, that could take them into the final kingdom. It was Take them to prosperity, prolonging their life, being on top. All of the things that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, literally their lives were captured and enthralled with. Uh, no, he's much more than that. See, he was God. He was the God-man. He is the God-man. Father, may we, the message go out clearly, concisely, 
unparalleled. May it sweep this nation. May it sweep this world. That Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for our sins. And Father, as we promote that message, that men and women that would come to you personally, Father, that they would grow, they would be guided in truth by the truth. And Father, help us to be everything that you want us to be for a time like this. Father, as you're carving and making and shaping and forming us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, may we yield ourselves to you and to the Spirit. We thank you for all that you're about, all that you're doing. There are many things that are beyond our scope of understanding. But Father, we know that we're in your hands. For all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. What a gift. The promises you've made that you'll never leave us, never forsake us. The Holy Spirit will never, ever vacate a premise that Jesus Christ paid for. We are a purchased possession. Thank you for this and many, many other things we don't even know about, Father, but in eternity's view, to know that we will be with you forever is amazing. Thank you for all the gifts of grace. We thank you in Christ's precious holy name. Amen.